Hey there, Instrumental is back for our third season this summer. Welcome back if you're a regular listener or if you're a new listener. My name is Bria Murakami and I'm your host who is a music therapist who loves making music science more accessible and digestible so that we can translate all the cool music research into our everyday lives. I've got some great episodes planned for you, including this kickoff episode, which is all about how music can act as a stand-in, as a social presence, or a social surrogate when we can't be with other people. Is there something special about how people listen to music as a way to fill a social void when they're not with others? Keep listening to find out more. As this episode is coming out in July 2020, I and probably many of you that live in the United States are in this weird limbo of social disconnection that's been going on for about four months, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to be getting better anytime soon. I'm super introverted, and even I'm starting to feel the lack of being around other humans in public and seeing my friends. I love working in coffee shops over the summer and exploring new neighborhoods and restaurants around my city, but all of this has just gone away, and it's probably going to be a while before it's safe enough for those things to come back. We're in the age of social distancing, which is interrupting the deep human need for interaction with others. Ideally, we would be having lots of positive interactions with other people at work or school or with our family members or our friends. It's healthy. It's foundational to our well-being to be in contact with other people. Humans have a deep need to feel like they belong. And while the idea for this episode came up because of the COVID lockdowns that has fundamentally changed how we interact with others, but the fact is that social isolation and the negative impacts of social isolation has been creeping into our culture for years now. When we have unmet social needs, this is associated with feelings of isolation and loneliness and a whole host of other health problems like high blood pressure and mental health issues. It's no small problem when we feel socially disconnected. So when we're by ourselves or feeling detached from others around us, can music serve as a social surrogate or a temporary stand-in for real in-person contact? Let's start first with what a social surrogate is. A social surrogate is an indirect way to get social support when we can't get direct personal interaction. Social surrogates could be an object that we associate with a person, like looking at a picture of our loved ones, or a wedding ring, or even something relatively neutral, like having a bowl of chicken soup. These objects are like temporary proxies to remind us of our relationships when we're not able to access those people in an immediate way. Media like books, television shows, movies, or music have been theorized to act as social surrogates for when we're alone. For example, it's really common for people to put on a TV show in the background when they're doing chores alone just to feel like there's another presence around. But can listening to music serve the same purpose? There are lots of ways that music listening can serve us in our everyday lives, from helping us regulate our mood, helping us build and reinforce our social identities, and when we listen to music with other people at a concert, this can definitely help us feel more bonded to those other people. Extending this idea further, however, the social surrogacy hypothesis would suggest that we can gain social benefits from listening to music completely alone. 
The study we're reviewing today specifically looked at the unique potential for music to act as a social surrogate compared to books, TVs, and movies. Katharina Schaefer and Tuomas Arala just published their study looking at this in 2020, which asked the questions, is music used as a temporary substitute for social interaction, or does music act as a social surrogate? And if so, does music serve this purpose in a similar or different way than TVs, movies, or books? In order to assess why people engage in media for social purposes, the researchers first designed a questionnaire. They did a broad literature search into why and how media fulfills our need to belong, and at the end of the search, they identified three categories to base their questionnaire around. One, group affiliation. Maybe when we engage in media, we're reminded of a broader social identity that we're a part of. Two, parasocial or virtual company. The idea that the characters in our favorite books or TV shows feel like semi-real people to us, or that the music takes on its own presence that can make us feel less isolated. And the third category their questionnaire was based on was that media we consume can represent and remind us of a real person that we have a relationship with, which makes us feel less alone. The researchers then came up with a set of statements for their questionnaire stemming from these three categories that started with the prompt, I listen to music because, that participants rated on a five-point Likert scale, with one meaning strongly disagree to five meaning that they strongly agreed with the statement. And just adds up, there was parallel wording for two other versions of the questionnaire, except the prompt started with, I read books because, or I watch TV and movies because. After creating these questionnaires, the researchers recruited participants for their study who filled out the questionnaire about why they engaged in different forms of media, and participants also filled out a few other questionnaires, including an attachment scale to measure the participant's attachment style, and a need-to-belong scale, which measured the degree to which participants wanted to be accepted by other people. These other two measures were part of the study because the researchers wanted to be able to understand the interaction between individual participant differences on how they formed and responded to social interaction in general. Altogether, the 367 participants ranged in age from 18 to 62 years old, they all lived in Northern Europe, and 57% of the participants were women. After collecting their data, Schaefer and Arola ran the numbers via an exploratory factor analysis to understand how participants responded to their questionnaire about media and social surrogacy. So what did they find? How did participants report using music as a social surrogate? Results of the factor analysis suggested that there are seven factors that explain how people use music as a social surrogate. The three most important factors were, in order, one, comforting company, two, reminiscence, and three, shared experiences. Let's break that down a little more. When rating their uses of music listening, participants gave the highest average ratings to statements like, music keeps me company, music makes me feel less lonely, and it comforts me when I'm sad. The researchers commented that this top company factor seemed to really be about comfort, and it was a top reason for consuming media across the board, not just with music. The reminiscence factor was the second highest average rating for listening to music, and included people agreeing with statements like, music reminds me of a particular person or certain periods of my life. 
These statements indicate that people listen to music as a symbolic reminder of people or past experiences that are important to the listener, and it's a way we remind ourselves that even though we may be by ourselves in this exact moment, that this isn't always the case. And the third highest factor associated with music listening was shared experiences, and captured when participants agreed with statements like, Music makes me feel like somebody else feels the same as I do, and I can recognize myself in the lyrics, and other statements about identifying with the song's musical artist. This shared experience factor suggests that music serves as a social surrogate because it allows us to share a virtual emotional communion, that we feel like we're not alone in feeling a certain way, and that others have felt similarly to how we do. The emotions expressed within music can become a proxy for the emotional sharing that we usually get when we're having a deep conversation with a friend, and that we can also identify with the singer or musical artist within the music, which in turn makes us feel less alone. For the purposes of this podcast, those are the main takeaways regarding music's role as a social surrogate, but if you're interested in reading the entire article, the authors go into the other factors for why we listen to music, and also the different ways that books, movies, or TV shows can also fill that social surrogate role. You can find the full reference on our website at instrumentalpodcast.com. Altogether, though, Schaefer and Erola's study does provide evidence that listening to music can provide temporary social support by resonating with our emotions and experiences when we're not able to get that social support directly from someone else. As always, we're going to end this podcast with some practical takeaways for incorporating what we just learned about music as a social surrogate and how to apply it to the age of social distancing that we find ourselves in. Now, if you've listened to past episodes, you know that a lot of times when I'm talking about the social benefits of musicking, I'll often tie in the idea of entrainment, that moving together with other people through active music making is often the foundation for how social bonding happens through music like how choir members feel bonded when they sing together, or how dancing with others can increase feelings of being connected. Except, entrainment works best when you're physically in the same space with others, and that's not really feasible right now. To be honest, the safety requirements of social distancing are making me rethink how I do my work as a music therapist, and there have been moments that have been a challenge for me to rethink what the essential foundational parts of my music therapy skill set are when something as basic as singing is seen as a potential hazard because it can project aerosols, or when I'm doing a majority of my sessions over Zoom and I can't get reliable auditory feedback in real time about how my clients are responding to the music I'm leading. It is a tough time, but it's not an impossible time to be a music therapist, but I just wanted to throw that out there. As such, my takeaways for how to use music in a safely distanced way really lean on recorded music and using things like Spotify or YouTube playlists to connect with other people. Of course, we learn that even just solo music listening can provide that temporary social stand-in for when we're feeling really lonely or isolated. And as usual, there's no specific music I can blanket recommend for everyone, and preferred music, whatever you like, is probably going to be your best bet. 
I'd actually recommend listening to music from a distinctly pre-COVID time in your life, like music you listened to when you were in high school or maybe even middle school. We know that music we listen to during a particular times in our lives can get associated with feelings and events and people that we encountered while listening to that music, and when we listen back to music we associate with the past, we can again enter into the mindset we had when we first encountered that music. The idea here is to use that time travel feature of music to temporarily leave the present behind. I've found that revisiting music I really enjoyed in high school that I haven't listened to in like a decade, that music kind of feels like a time capsule that lets me temporarily leave behind all the craziness in the world right now. And as an aside, it's kind of fun to listen to that nostalgic music and reflect on how I've changed in like the last, geez, like a decade since I started adulting. There's also a lot of potential to strengthen the relationships we already have through music. I assume that most of you listeners have access to Spotify or YouTube, both of which allow for compiling music playlists that you can send to friends. Swapping playlists with family members or a group of friends can be a great way to get to know each other in a new way and maybe discover some new favorite music. I've also made a game out of this as well. I'm taking an online class right now, and I had everyone in the class send me a favorite song of theirs, and then when we were hanging out on Zoom over the weekend, I played clips of the song without saying who had submitted the song, and everyone guessed whose song was whose. It was a fun way for my classmates and I to get to know each other, even though we couldn't hang out in person. This last idea might feel like a stretch for some of us, but I really think that if you find the right person to do it with, it has a potential to experience a deep, deeper social connection in a way that's hard to find elsewhere. Try sending or swapping song voice memos with people you really love or care about. Just think about it. When was the last time someone sang a song to you? Or the last time you sang a song specifically to someone else? There's a good chance that a lot of us haven't been sung to since we were really young children, but singing can be a relatively easy, but also deeply meaningful way to connect with someone. I got the idea from when I was in a long-distance relationship with someone who was a musician, and I don't even know who started it first, but sometimes when we were missing each other, we'd send a voice memo, maybe only like, I don't know, 30 or 60 seconds long, singing a verse and a chorus to a song that we knew the other person enjoyed. Some of these singing memos were silly, some were sweet, but when we couldn't be together in person, there was something really reassuring about hearing the voice of that specific person singing specifically to me that helped a lot when we couldn't be physically together. And of course, I do have research backing me up on this idea that hearing a loved one's voice can deepen our relationships with them. A study by Leslie J. Seltzer, Tony E. Ziegler, and Seth D. Pollack in 2010 suggests that hearing a loved one's voice when we're stressed can be as reassuring as getting a hug from them. In their study, they had young girls between the ages of 7 and 12 go through a stressful experience where they had to do math problems in front of strangers, which of course would make me not feel so great. When the girls were done, they were directed into one of three situations— The first set of girls went into a room where their mothers were waiting and the moms gave the girls a hug and reassured them that they had probably done fine, so they got that direct, personal, physical reassurance. 
The second set of girls went into a room where they got a telephone call from their mom, again reassuring them, but not actually seeing their mom in person. And the third set of girls did not interact with their moms directly after being stressed out, but instead watched a clip from the movie The March of the Penguins. The researchers measured the girls' cortisol levels, which is a proxy measure of stress, as well as the girls' oxytocin levels, and this is a hormone associated with social bonding. As expected, the girls who got to directly interact with their moms had the highest levels of oxytocin and had the quickest return to baseline on their cortisol measures. But interestingly, the girls who got a reassuring phone call, they only heard their mom's voice, had about the same hormone profile as the girls who got the direct hugs as well. The girls who watched the March of the Penguins had low oxytocin levels throughout the entire experiment and also had the highest cortisol stress levels, even up to an hour after the math test. The researchers concluded that hearing a loved one's voice can be just as socially reassuring as physical touch. And so, I encourage you to take that finding to the next level and consider sending some digital singing telegrams to your loved ones when they're feeling stressed, which at least for me has been low-key in the background for the past few months. Even though it might not be safe for us to gather together in large groups to make music, Music can still be a meaningful way for us to connect and build relationships with people even when we're living in what feels like the worst timeline. But music still has an enormous potential to help us stay and feel connected even when we can't be physically together. I hope that you're doing as well as possible right now, and I'm looking forward to putting out the rest of season three soon, so thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 